when you go to a movie theater or you go to watch a, a movie at home, <clears throat> you will find that there is some company that is behind the production of that particular movie. Maybe it's MGM, maybe it's something uh, Paramount, I don't know, whoever, Warner Brothers, and it always says something like, so-and-so presents. Well, in the New Testament, we read about different individuals, and a lot of people, we know who they are. We know all about them. We know about Peter, we know about Paul, we know about a lot of characters, and I say characters, they were real people, so I don't want to mis misuse that word, but there are a lot of people <clears throat> that we can uh, learn from, but there are some other people that are in the Bible that the Holy Spirit wants us to know who they are. And the, the way that I found them is we find them in the book of Acts, and it usually says something like a certain, a certain man, a certain woman, a certain disciple, a certain this, a certain that. And that's how I found all of these different people in the book of Acts, that the Holy Spirit wants us to know them, wants us to learn something from them. And so this evening, we'll begin our series, and we'll talk about how the Holy, Holy Spirit presents Simon the Sorcerer. <clears throat> Now, I'm going to do something that in, in, in any teacher training you're told not to do, but I'm going to do it for just a moment. A few years ago, Denton was having a, a PowerPoint training. Yancey was leading that, and I happened to be a part of that training. And part of our homework was to make a PowerPoint, email it in. Well, for some reason, I couldn't get it to Yancey, so I emailed it to Michael. And by the time that it showed up, there were animations like crazy. You remember doing that? <clears throat> my animations were all over the place. And I was like, wait, I didn't do that, because part of the assignment was not to do crazy things like that. That's as crazy as I get right there, and I only do it in this particular series where the curtain opens up like that. So just so you know. <clears throat> but we're going to talk about, now we'll right back into it. Uh, this evening we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit presents a man by the name of Simon the Sorcerer. Now, he's just called Simon, and he practiced sorcery, but we call him Simon the Sorcerer. And it says a certain man or a certain sorcerer, I think is how it starts. Let me tell you a little bit about him as we look. We're not going to read all of Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 24. We're going to hit the highlights, but let's, let's kind of look at what was going on. At the time, the church had scattered. The, Saul was making a havoc in the church, as it says, and they were taking a lot of people and putting them in the prison because of their Christianity. And so as they were doing that, the church scattered from Jerusalem. It was the first time that they had left Jerusalem. And as they go out, they come to this place, uh, Samaria. And it's where Philip had gone. And Philip was one of the six that were ch seven that were chosen, chosen in Acts chapter 6. Uh, but he was one that went out. And uh, keep in mind, the apostles had all stayed back in Jerusalem. So everybody else scattered but the twelve. So he is now in Samaria, and he comes across these people, and he decides that he's going to preach to them, and he does it by performing miracles. And we're introduced to this man called Simon. And Simon was an individual who had practiced sorcery. <clears throat> he was the kind of individual that, uh, that recognized, really, what was going on. He was a man who tricked people. That's how he got the power and the fame Believing people believing that he was something great because he was very good at what he did. 
you know, we watch magic tricks and we see those things done and we think, wow, how did he do that? I don't know how in the world they're able to do something like that. And then we sit back and we think, well, they must be powerful in some way because there's something that they did. But we know in some ways it's a trick. Well, Simon certainly knew what he was doing was a trick. But Philip comes along and he displays the real power of God through the miracles that he performed. And he was drawn in. What is this about? This is the real thing. And so as he comes into that situation, many people heard the preaching of Philip, many people obeyed the gospel, and he believed and was baptized. But then Peter and John come along. They were in Jerusalem before, remember? But now they're in this place. And here they are, and they are laying hands on people so that they also can do miraculous gifts. Well, now Simon's drawn in again. He says, well, I want to be a part of that. And so he asks to buy that. And we'll talk more about that later on. That's a basic idea of what happened and who Simon the sorcerer is. So let's talk about who Simon is as we look at what the Bible presents to us. First of all, it says a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery. He was an individual who practiced sorcery. You could call him a sorcerer. That's what he did. Now, we know sorcery from the Old Testament. We know that to be sinful. We know that to be wrong. He was bewitching people. He was tricking people. That's how the Bible describes him. That's how the Holy Spirit wants us to know about him. So he was in the midst of sin. He was in sin when he practiced sorcery. I want you to notice something. Romans 3 and verse 23. For all of sin to fall short of the glory of God. I, you may not practice sorcery. I doubt it. <laughs> I don't really know. But I know this. You've sinned. You've fallen short of the standard that God sets. God's standard is perfection. And we fall short of perfection, don't we? We read, and as Jesus says, and Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. You know, it's not that Simon just did some sorcery on the side. That's not. He was described as someone who practices sorcery. Someone who practices sin. He was in sin. So, there are times that we sin and we fail to meet God's standard. There are other times that we are slaves to it, that we are in it. That you could be described as an alcoholic, or you could be described as a gambler, or a sorcerer, or a drug addict, or a fornicator, or whatever. You are described that way because that's the practice that you do. And we become slaves to it. Romans chapter 6 and verse 19, Paul says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. You know, the thing about sin and the pleasure of sin, because it is pleasure. 
let's just be honest here. Would you perform sin if you didn't like it? We know it's wrong, so we're not going to do that if we didn't like it, but the draw is that we like it. It's something we want to do. It's something we want to participate in. And we become slaves to that. Proverbs says stolen waters are sweet. Water's water. But there's something about that thrill. There's something about that high. There's something about that particular water that makes us drawn to it because it's stolen. We know that that's wrong and there's a, a dopamine effect. There's a high that we get from that. We used to go to Six Flags. And we'd ride the big rides. And there's a thrill to riding those rides, right? Why would people go if they didn't enjoy the thrill of riding those rides? Isaac, my son, my, my oldest son, did not enjoy Six Flags. He didn't like the thrill rides. Something he just didn't like doing. But we'd ride those rides. You know, you do, you ride a particular roller coaster enough, you kind of get used to where the highs and the lows and the curves and all that stuff are. And it's not quite like that first time. So you've got to find a bigger roller coaster. You've got to find the next one. And then when you get used to that one, you've got to find the next one. And the next thing you know, you're skydiving. <laughs> Just to try to find that high, that thrill. That's the way sin is. We look for that thrill. We look for that high. We look for that moment of pleasure. And it goes away. It's fleeting. And then we become slaves to it. That's the way sin is. And so we're no different than Simon the sorcerer when we find ourselves guilty and in bondage to sin. So what did Simon do? He heard the preaching of Philip. He heard pre Philip preach about Jesus. He heard Philip preach about the kingdom of God. He had already performed the miracles, and he was wowed by those miracles, so there was something about that he was drawn to, but when those uh, when the word of God was confirmed by those miracles, he was moved to respond. It says Simon believed and was baptized. Now, I want to be very, very clear at what the Holy Spirit said that Simon did. He believed and was baptized. Is there any doubt about where he stood with God? Some people will say, that there's a question whether or not he was standing right with God. But the Holy Spirit never said that. The Holy Spirit directed Luke to write these words that he believed and was baptized. And so upon his belief and faith that moved him to baptism, it took him out of sin and in the bondage of sin and placed him to be forgiven and have freedom over that bondage. You can look at Simon that day and say that he was no longer a sorcerer. He gave it up. <coughs> Excuse me. So no longer would he be a sorcerer. He's someone different now. He's a Christian now. And we know that because the Holy Spirit said that he believed and was baptized. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, Paul begins... Uh, that section of scripture by saying, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. The gospel just means good news or good tidings, glad tidings. That's what it means. Uh, so he is telling us what the good news is. Now, there's good news and there's the good news. Uh, if 
sometimes it's good news to hear that someone is having a baby. That's good news. And then there's the good news that we're about to talk about, that Paul's going to talk about. So he tells them he's going to declare to them the gospel. But before he tells us what the gospel is, he says that the gospel is to be preached, the gospel is to be received, the gospel is to be stood in, and the gospel is to be held fast, and then finally the gospel is to save. So those are the things that the gospel is to do. He's not yet declared to us what the gospel is. He doesn't do that until verse 3, where he says that the gospel is how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's what the gospel is. Because the gospel message is good news because of what it can do, all these things, that it can save us. But the power of that gospel is in the fact that Christ died, he was buried, and he rose again. That's why it's good news. So he says, I'm going to tell you what the gospel is, and that's what he does. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 16, he says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves to obey, you are that one slaves to whom you obey? whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that you were the servants or slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So remember, we were slaves of sin before. We're guilty of sin. We're in bondage. Now something has set us free. That's what he tells them there in Romans. They had done something that set them free. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. And that what it, it can do is to save. And here they obeyed something. They obeyed a form. Now, <clears throat> I was specific about choosing this picture for Denton, Texas. That's Troy Aikman, if you don't know. Uh, when he was preparing to become uh, a member of the NFL Hall of Fame or the F Pro Football Hall of Fame or whatever it is. And someone is creating a, an image of him to be put in bronze uh, so that that can go into the Hall of Fame. Now, this guy's pretty good. That looks like Troy Aikman, doesn't it? But you know what? That's not Troy Aikman. Matter of fact, neither one of those are Troy Aikman. Those are images of Troy Aikman. They are forms of Troy Eggman. They're not exactly, but they're a form of. So when he says they obey from the heart that form of doctrine, it's something that's like something else. That's what he's saying. They obeyed a teaching that was like another teaching. They, that's what they obeyed. We know that the gospel is the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what is the form? He tells us that earlier in the chapter, Romans 6 and verse 3. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus are baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, there's that form, the likeness, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. 
So again, they obeyed a form of doctrine that did what? That freed them from sin. Here he tells us what they did that freed them from that sin. They obeyed the gospel. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. To obey the form of the likeness of that is to be baptized into his death, to be buried with him in baptism, and to walk in newness of life. That just as Christ was raised from the dead, we also walk in newness of life. A death, a burial, and resurrection. It's a form of it. That's what Simon did. That's what we do. If we want salvation, it's in the same way because the power is in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We access that power by being baptized into his death and being buried and rising to walk in newness of life. That's how it happens. So just like Simon, we once were guilty, we once were in bondage, but we're set free and forgiven when we are baptized. Simon's story does not end there. There's more to it. Peter and John come along and they start to uh, lay hands on people and give them the power of the Holy Spirit so that they can work miracles just like Philip had been doing. And so Simon sees an opportunity. And so he comes to them and he says, <clears throat> here's money. I want that power. I want that ability too. That's what I want. Peter said to him, Your heart is not right in the sight of God. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Bound. Now, that's what he escaped. He escaped the bondage through baptism. But now, he's right back in it. You say, man, it doesn't really seem like it was that big of a deal. What did he do that was so wrong? And I want you to know, it's not about the money. And it's not about offering money necessarily for the Holy Spirit's power. That's what, not what it was about. You know what he was going back to? Sorcery. That's what made it wrong. He didn't want to do miracles for the cause of Christ. He wanted what he had lost. He wanted to be the man that he was before. And here was his opportunity, a God-given opportunity, to go right back where he was. But he was right back bound by iniquity. And that was the problem. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 20 says, For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Let's break this passage down a little bit so we can get an understanding of what he's saying. Now, first of all, Simon was saved, wasn't he? He believed and was baptized, and now he had gone back to bondage. What is this passage teaching? Notice, they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They heard about the gospel. They obeyed the gospel. They had escaped the pollutions. They were free from the pollutions of the world. 
didn't say they got close to it and got a little bit away from it. It says they escaped from the pollutions of the world. <clears throat> but they are again entangled in them and overcome. Now, entangled, overcome. Those are very crucial words to help us understand. It's not just sinning here and there. It is going back to. It is going back to sin. It's being overcome with sin. It's going back to that lifestyle. And how do I know we're going back? Because he says the word again. He doesn't say they are entangled and overcome. They are again entangled and overcome. You can't be again unless you once were and you're not anymore. And now you are again. So they, now they're entangled and overcome. And they have turned from, not turned to, not stayed in, but they've turned from the holy commandment. <coughs> and a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having washed or wallowing in the mire. This is kind of a, a gross illustration, isn't it? I think it's meant to be a gross illustration. Because it's meant to show us the nastiness and the uncleanliness, uncleanliness, is that a word, of sin. That's what it's to show here. To compare a life of sin to vomit and to mire. That's gross. But with the illustration of the dog, it's something that the dog has gotten rid of. It's no longer a part of the dog, and yet the dog goes back to it. The sow has been cleansed. And the sow is now going back to it. See, the dog was cleansed from the inside. The sow on the outside. In every way it was cleansed, but they go right back to it. Things we cast aside and things that are washed away. And we go right back to it. And that's why the, worse, or the, the end of that is worse than the beginning. Because we've turned from what we know that we had. Simon turned from what he knew he had. And you may be in this situation. You may be bound this evening by something <clears throat> again. And you need freedom from that. There's a story that Jesus talks about in Luke chapter 15. We typically call it the, the prodigal son or the parable of the prodigal son. It was about a man who had two sons, an older and a younger. The younger decides that I don't want to be at daddy's house anymore. I want to go live my life. I want to go do what I want to do. And as long as I'm living here, I can't do what I want to do. See, that's not allowed in dad's house. So I'm going to take my inheritance, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I want you to notice, first of all, what Jesus says about these two individuals. Who are they? They are the sons of that father, aren't they? They're not servants. They're not someone that's not related to the Father. They are children of His. <clears throat> that son goes out and he lives the way he wants to and he hits rock bottom. Sin finds him and leaves him wanting. And he comes to himself. He has an awakening. And he says, you know what? I can go back and be with Dad. He may not let me back as a son, so I'll beg him to be a servant. Maybe he'll, be, maybe he'll let me just do that. Because servants, my dad's servants, were treated better than I am here in this pig pen. So he goes back. 
But dad's watching. Dad sees him coming down the road. And he goes out to greet him and he gives him a hug. And he starts the speech. Dad, I've messed up. I'm, I'm here to be your servant. He says, nonsense. You're my son. And they throw a party for his son after he cleans him up and makes him look good. Treats him like royalty. Like the son that he is. The older brother wasn't there though. The older brother comes and finds out what's going on. And they're having a party for this son who wasted his substance with riotous living. And he's not happy about it. He's standing out outside the door and he's got his arms crossed and he says, oh, I can't believe that they're throwing a party for that bum. And so dad goes and finds out what's going on. <clears throat> Here's the interesting thing that he tells his son, his older son. He says, my son was dead and lost. Did that man ever become not a son? If that makes sense, what I'm asking. Was he ever not a son of that father? He was always a son. That hadn't changed. But what changed was the relationship that he was lost and he was dead. And then he goes on and he says, but now he's alive, he's been found. But he was always a son. See, to become a child of God, we're baptized. But that's not the case for someone who had been a child of God. You're always a child of God. That doesn't mean that you're not in sin any longer. Or that you can't go back to it. See, he went back to sin. That's what Simon did. And when he did, he was still a child of God. But he was lost. And he was dead. And the latter end could have been worse for him than in the beginning. Because what he'd gotten rid of, he went right back to. But notice this. There was a return. Fortunately, that wasn't the end of the story for Simon again. He came back. See, Peter told him, repent and pray that you may be forgiven. Now, that wasn't like before. The conditions have changed. Where before he believed and was baptized, now he's being told to repent of this act, to repent of his behavior, and to pray. To become a son, we're baptized, but to become a forgiven son once we've left it is to repent, to turn our heart back to him, and to pray. And we can be forgiven, just like before. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 12 says, And the angel of the church in Pergamos write. Now the reason I put that particular part is I want you to know that he is writing specifically to a group of believers that he calls the church. These are his people, his called out, his holy people, special people, whatever words you want to use that the Bible uses over and over again. That's who he's writing to. But they had a problem with their doctrine and with their behavior and with the things that they were doing. And so he tells them in verse 16, Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Repent. You believers, change. Change your mindset from this doctrine of the Nicolaitans and go back to the doctrine of Christ, to what you believed in the first place. Or I'll come quickly and you'll pay for what this doctrine that you're following. 
First John 1 and verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, the blood of Jesus that saves us in baptism is the same blood that covers us when we admit fault. When we admit that we're wrong. When we admit that we still depend on that blood for salvation. That never ends until we're taken home. We still need the blood of Jesus. Why not confess it? Are we so arrogant? Are we so proud that we can't say, I have fault? That I have sinned against God? Admit it. Change our mindset and the way we think about things. Don't go back to what we once were. But change that behavior. Repent and pray. So the, the question this evening, as the Holy Spirit presents, here's the question for you. And I'll be asking this question a lot. If the Holy Spirit were going to write something in Scripture about you, where would he say you are? You're in one of these two spots. Either you are guilty and you are in bondage to sin, or you are forgiven and have freedom through Jesus Christ. Those are the only two places that you can be. And someday you're going to stand before Jesus as judge. And he's going to ask you and he's going to judge you about where you are. We're about to sing a song. What will your answer be? If you are in that position of being guilty and in bondage, Maybe you need to obey the gospel and be baptized. That may be your condition this evening so that you can be forgiven and have freedom. Then do that here this evening. Perhaps you have done that and just like Simon, you went back to being guilty and being in bondage. Then you need to repent and pray. What's your answer? When, when uh, Simon was confronted with the choices, he said, I will do that. Pray for me too. If you need the prayers of the church, we stand ready to help you, that we will pray for you too. If you need to obey the gospel or you need prayers of the church, we stand ready to assist you if you'll come forward and sit on the front as we stand and sing the song. It's been selected. <laughs>